The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here. Father, I uh, wanted to continue our discussion in regards to the Society of St. Pius X and their response, or perhaps more appropriately, their lack of response to this upcoming Amazonian Synod uh, that is shortly taking place. And it, it seems that, Father, after our uh, our couple recent programs where we've discussed this matter, that there have been a sort of flurry of articles posted on the SSPX News website. So, Father, could you fill us in in the, uh, the contents of, of those articles and, and what exactly your interpretation of all of this is? Yes, Tom, certainly. Uh, as briefly as I can. Um, it is it is interesting to note that we've had uh, a number of programs about the silence, rather ominous silence of the Society of St. Pius X, with regard to uh, rather dramatic things going on within the Novus Ordo. Notably, this Amazonian Synod that is planned for October, the month of October, by Francis and uh, his... his uh, Synodians, right? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, it's it's uh, got an instrumentum laboris or a working document that is very, very controversial, uh, very anti-Catholic, and uh, so many voices in the Novus Ordo have been raised against it, uh, speaking very boldly against it. Cardinal Braunmüller, uh, another Cardinal Müller, uh, also uh, Bishop Schneider. Right. And Monsignor Books and a number of others have spoken very, very boldly in a very forthright way about this, even saying it's heretical, even going to so far as to say it would constitute apostasy for this to be enacted by the Synod. Now, that's pretty strong, strong language there. And through all of that time, the Society of St. Pius X has been silent, oddly enough. So here you have the conservative voices in the Novus Ordo condemning this document as being against the, the faith, and they're right. But you have silence, silence from, well, the fraternity of St. Peter, evidently. Um, at least I've seen nothing, heard nothing from them. The Institute of Christ the King, right? I've heard nothing from them publicly uh, as far as condemning this heresy and eventual apostasy nor from the Society of St. Pius X, right, officially. Now, there, have been a voice of, there has been a voice raised here and there in the Society of St. Pius X, I imagine also in the Institute of Christ the King, and I would imagine also in the Fraternity of St. Peter. There's been an isolated voice raised here and there. But as far as an actual position paper by these organizations on this very subject, uh, that others are um, condemning as heresy and apostasy, it's been a, a very ominous silence, and you wonder why. Why would these organizations fall silent at a time like this? 
And the only explanation I had was that they're afraid of losing their status. They know they're, they're considered extraordinary. They're considered a kind of a, a luxury within the Novus Ordo. They're tolerated. And so perhaps they're afraid that, uh, that these things, that, that their positions will somehow be diminished. Uh, in the case of the Society of St. Pius X, that they fear that the, um, the plans they have for formal unification with modernist Rome would be jeopardized if they spoke out. And uh, so, oddly enough, since we began to, I'd say, sound the alarm about this, that this is not a good sign, <clears throat> it is peculiar that all of a sudden, there should be, as you say, a flurry of uh, activity on the Society of St. Pius X news site concerning the subject of the Amazonian Synod. Uh, in fact, they began publishing a series of uh, short statements uh, on August 14th. There was uh, paper number one that came out, then paper number two on August 14th, and all of a sudden again on 16th of August, another installment came out. And on the 20th of August, there's another statement. So all within this one week. Now, I don't know if we perhaps uh, provoked that response or not, but it does, the timing seems peculiar. But also, if one reads those statements, uh, two on August 14th, one on the 16th, and one on the 20th, one finds, again, what I'd said before, is that it's a restatement of what others have said already. Right. It's simply just reporting what Cardinal... Miller had said what Archbishop, what, what Bishop Schneider said, what Monsignor Brooks had said, and um, it's just repeating the statements that they made, and not making really any statement on the on behalf of the Society of Saint Pius X, which styles itself itself the premier traditional Catholic institution in the world, often, but it has nothing to say for itself. It's just reporting what others have said, and. Uh, this, this is not what Archbishop Lefebvre would have done, I'm convinced of it. We have, we have statements by Archbishop Lefebvre over the years in writing and sometimes even a video. I think we've, we've actually presented some here on our own site, which are very forthright statements about what is the developments. One, one thing uh, that one gets out of listening to the, the actual voice of Monsieur Lefebvre speaking about the developments in the modern church Back in the six, in the in the eighties, and the nineties, and so on. Uh, uh, mostly in the, of course, in the eighties and in the seventies, uh, obviously. But in any case, Monsieur Lefebvre um, conveys not so much a combative, combative approach, but a, an approach of of sorrow to see this happening and wonderment that it's happening. One word that Monsignor Lefebvre used over and over again when he spoke to us at Ecom, and that I've heard him used again uh, very often, and when he speaks about what is being done in the Novus Ordo, is the word inconcevable. He repeats the word inconcevable. Inconcevable. You see in his mind the wonderment, the amazement at what he's seeing happen in, in the church. You know, he makes the distinction between the... Um, Rome of tradition, Catholic Rome, as opposed to and being opposed by modernist Rome, the Rome of modernism. And he says clearly that we are, we adhere to Catholic Rome, not to modernist Rome. But he says so not in a, uh, a pugilistic sort of way, not in a combative way, 
but in a way that is filled with conviction, but also a way that is filled with a kind of grief. It's as though Monsignor Lefebvre is grieving. You understand what I mean? Right? Yeah. Uh, it was really inconceivable to him that this could be happening, and yet he faced reality. And he saw it for what it was, and he acknowledged this is actually happening. There are many people in the world today who find it inconceivable to admit what is happening, and therefore they, they say, it can't be happening, it's a mirage. They will not face the reality of it. But Monsignor Lefebvre, was, his love for the church was so great, his love for the faith was so great, and, and I dare say his love for our Lord Jesus Christ was so great, that he faced the reality of it, even though it was extremely painful for him. And his intention was um, not to be like Protestants. Protestants were protesting. Their whole religion is based on protest against Catholicism. But Monsignor Lefebvre is not that way. His religion is not based on a protest against modernism. His religion is Catholicism, always. And uh, what he's doing, he's not doing merely as a protest. He's simply being faithful to the oaths that he's taken against modernism. He's being faithful to the vows he's made. And that is his faith. That is his religion. Uh, they condemn him for it. But you know that his point is not that, well, we are going to, uh, you know, our whole, our whole raison d'etre of the Society of St. Pius X is to, um, you know, it's a protest against modernism. That's not the case. The raison d'etre of the Society of St. Pius X was to hold fast to the faith, to the traditional Catholic faith in its entirety. Okay, so uh, that's that's what one sees in Monsignor Lefebvre, and that is the, truly the Catholic attitude. Seeing that as it was, though, he saw the danger that modernism posed, and he saw that modernism and the Novus Ordo, because no, the Novus Ordo, the new order, is the religion of modernism. And he saw that attacking the church and attacking souls and attacking our Lord himself. And so he was ready to uh, stand up and fight defensively and defend souls and defend the church against the attacks of the modernists. But that was, that was a defensive battle on his part. Um, so we, we have to be the same way. It, what, what hurts so much, though, is to see the Society of St. Pius X right now not following in Monsignor's footsteps. Not, not being able seemingly to raise its voice and speak on its own behalf and say, this is not Catholic. This we must follow, not follow. No Catholic must follow this, you know. We have voices actually in the Novus Ordo who are now saying that. And the Society of St. Pius X is doing more than just citing them and their words. But to come out on a, for, with a position paper of its own, it just seems incapable or unwilling to do that. And I can't help but think it's because they've already, as the last program showed, they've already made their peace with modernist Rome and are trying to find a place at the modernist table right now. Father, that, that certainly may be one explanation for their, their silence in this matter, but do you think, perhaps, uh, this is just a, a theory, do you think uh, that this could be somehow um, tied to just this feeling of, of apathy, because you, you run into this so, so often in America where you see um, just overall good conservative type people and they'll just have this attitude of apathy just 
leave me alone. I just want to live my life. I don't necessarily agree with you, but that's fine. You go do whatever you want to do. I just want to live my life my way. Perhaps that could be in the attitude of the leadership of the Society of St. Pius X, where if if they are have, have formed some kind of pact with this modernist realm, and they say, okay, we have our traditional Catholic pocket and this uh, modernist church. We have our, our little group here. We're fine with that. You guys just do whatever you want. It's fine. You, uh, you know. but, but Tom, that's the essence of ecumenism. The same ecumenism Monsieur Lefebvre condemned is being anti-Catholic. So essentially what I hear is you're asking, is it possibly the case that the current leadership of the Society of St. Pius X has, has adopted an ecumenical approach to say, look, just include us in your pantheon, you know, uh, just, just give us a place there and we'll be glad to sit down with the communist Chinese bishops and all the rest. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of retreat from the position that there's one true God who's given us uh, the Son, one true Son, as our one true Savior, who's established one true church and given us one true faith and, and so on. And we'll retreat from that and at least go easy on that idea so that we'll be able to find a place within your, uh, you know, within your Nova Soto church and all the groups you're, you're willing to be involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would certainly hope not. I mean, look, the, the Novus Order, the modernists would be very happy to allow the traditional Latin Mass or what passes for it. You know, The modernists would be very happy to allow the traditional sacraments and so on, as long as those who adhered to them did it as a matter of taste and not a matter of principle. If they said, well, we're going to be traditional Catholics because we like tradition. It's our style. Okay. And uh, it fits our mindset, and so on and so forth. Uh, but that doesn't mean the other, uh, you know, the modern is wrong. It doesn't mean uh, other religions are wrong. It just means that this is what we personally prefer. So as long as we gave up the idea of there being one true God with one true Son, who's the one true Savior of all mankind, and gave us the Catholic Church as his true, one true Church, as long as we gave up this idea and became ecumenical, they'd be very happy because that fits right in with the modernist scheme. If they could somehow absorb the traditional Catholic effort into themselves and let us have uh, just a niche in the wall to place traditional Catholicism alongside the Novus Ordo, alongside Amazonian spirituality, alongside Buddhism, alongside Mohammedism, they'd be perfectly happy because that's the essence of modernism, that all of these experiences of God have legitimacy. But the problem with the Catholic faith is the same problem that the early Christians had, that they would not be legitimatized by the Roman Empire because they would not allow, they would not accept the idea of Christ being voted into the club of gods by the Roman Senate to be made legitimate in the empire. Their point being that Jesus Christ is the one true son of the one true God and all the other gods are false. And you hear that testimony in all of the martyrs, witnesses, as they were being put to death, that the gods of the Gentiles are, 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 are basically devils, right? That's what St. Paul says. So uh, that was the reason why they, they could not be assimilated into uh, the empire with its pantheon of gods and goddesses. Um, and that's the reason why true Catholicism can never be at peace with modernism. Because modernism wants to say that everyone, 
that all of the different experiences of God are true. And no religion is one true religion. It's impossible in the, in the modernist mindset. Father, if this ecumenical uh, mindset is adopted by the Society of St. Pius X, I think that, that would explain a lot, of, a lot of their actions, a lot of their silence. But if it were adopted, what, uh, what distinguishes them from the Fraternity of St. Peter or the Institute of Christ the King at that point? You know, we talked in the last program about the, uh, the spokesperson for the Society here in the United States, uh, Jem Vogel, I believe his name was, and how he, he really wanted to stress and emphasize this point of how if you come into one of our SSPX chapels, you're going to see, you won't even know the difference between us and a fraternity of St. Peter Church and your local diocesan Latin Mass. Uh, right. You're not going to notice the difference. It isn't that, uh, doesn't that seem to be a manifestation of this ecumenical mindset? And if it is, yes, it does. if it is, then what distinguishes the Society of St. Pius X from the fraternity of St. Peter? Well, essentially nothing, really. Uh, it would have been absorbed and accepted basically uh, on the same basis, essentially, as the Fraternity of St. Peter and the uh, Institute of Christ the King and the other, you know, quasi-traditional groups that are out there who've made their peace with the Novus Ordo. But uh, I think Mr. Bokel also mentioned, right, that they're keeping it very quiet on both sides of the equation here, right, that Francis is keeping it quiet in a sense, I think he implied, so as not to ruffle the feathers of the his hierarchy, right? But also that um, the SSPX is keeping it quiet so as not to alarm their faithful or even their clergy, right? Exactly. So uh, that in itself, um, well, I think people have a right to know mm -hmm. uh, where their leadership is leadership is taking them. You sure. Know? I don't know that they. I, I don't know that we could assume though that. Uh, uh, Father Pagliarani, who's the new, you know, superior general of the site, or even Bishop Filet, I don't know that they've become ecumenical in principle, uh, because if they have, they've basically ab abandoned Catholicism. And um, then what they're doing is kind of a charade right now. But I can't imagine them actually adopting the ecumenical uh, idea that all religions basically are true, more or less, and the, so the society should be included in the group of all, you know, approved by Francis as, you know, uh, uh, kind of one with them in their modernist idea. But I think it's a tactic. I, I think, I mean, my own thought in the subject for what it's worth is that they have the idea that they're going to get into the tent and they're going to... Uh, slowly win people over to the traditional side and turn the tide against the modernists. But, I mean, one could take the same approach with, uh, you know, the Lutherans or the Presbyterians or, I mean, one, one could take the approach with anything. We're going to, as it were, infiltrate them. <laughs> uh, but while they may think that they're the camel getting its nose under the tent of the modernists, it might, you know, as Archbishop Lefebvre warned, uh, beware modernists making concessions, you know, because they're very shrewd and they never give up the idea of modernism, the central ideas of modernism. Um, it, it might, it, what, what we see actually is that the modernist Campbell has got more than its nose under the SSPX tent right now. 
And pretty soon the whole Campbell's going to be in there at this rate. So, um, you know, again, I, I say this not with malice. I think it's with concern. There are for all the souls involved, you know. And uh, I know many of them uh, think highly of them and uh, believe that they do have the faith. But I think there, um, um, there are those who are being misled right now um, into thinking that all is well when it is not. And uh, there are those who have actually fallen for the idea, yes, this is the approach to take. Let's get inside the society, the, uh, the Novus Ordo, work from within to transform it and make it Catholic again. Sure. So it's, uh, but, it, but it, can't, it can't work that way. It's just not, <laughs> it's not the way the Catholic faith does things. You know? Right. Um, well, Father, I wanted to get to uh, just two emails if we could because they, uh, they tie in perfectly with what we've been talking about and there's kind of a uh, both sides of the fence here. So this first one is from a viewer who says... Uh, I just listened to your latest broadcast, which contained the uh, revelations about the SSPX's deal, uh, the still secret deal in the Novus Ordo false church, as he terms it. He says, by the grace of God, I left the SSPX last February precisely because I was convinced that they had already completed the process, but were keeping it under wraps. There were too many strange things going on in our chapel and in the pan SSPX. Based on the evidence I had, I determined that I was morally obligated to leave. So my question is, how much longer is it going to be okay for faithful Catholics to attend the SSPX chapels for Mass and the sacraments? Is it time to treat them like the FSSP and the indult? Have we finally reached the point where the evidence is so clear and indisputable that we must either act on it or be culpable? What are your thoughts, Father? Well, I can't tell you how much time. Uh, that's not up to me individually to decide, right? But uh, this gentleman obviously has made his decision already, and I, I'd say if he sees the, the inevitable the result of, of the approach they're taking, then yes, why wait? What are you waiting for? You know? uh, many were saying this about the changes that came in back in the 1960s, including some conservative priests. Well, we'll wait until this happens, and we see the way it's going now, and when, when this happens, that's it. I'm gone. You know, we had one very good priest in uh, in Southern Florida who uh, had many people, you know, adhering to him because of his personal sanctity, I believe, and also uh, of his uh, moderation and thought. And he, he would continually say, well, when they take out the communion rails, that's it. I'll know this is wrong, and I won't follow that. The communion rails come out. Well, when they have altar girls, I'll know. You know, I'll draw the line at that. And on and on, and it just kept going like that, one thing after another. And he died fully within the Novus Ordo and had a Novus Ordo happy hour funeral. They call it the Mass of the Resurrection, but that's that's not what it is. And uh, so, uh, and I feel badly for him all this time, but it's as though little by little by little, that's how they've made the their inroads. And um, little by little by little, that's how they ascended into positions of power. Uh, to hijack the church, the institutions of the church. And uh, we see it happening now within the, I believe we're seeing it happening before the, within the SSPX. And so having witnessed this before, uh, I think the prudent thing to do is to say, well, I'm not going to, 
practice a hybrid of Catholicism and modernism. And I'm not going to be sitting here and, and going through the motions um, of traditional Catholicism while I realize that we're actually being devoured alive, being swallowed whole by the Novus Ordo. So uh, I simply have to go where I can practice the traditional Catholic faith in its integrity. Uh, I think that would be, I would actually think that'd be the best thing to do with the Society of St. Pius X. What I would, what I would hope for is that, uh, people, enough people in the Society of St. Pius X would recognize what's going on and would say, no, I will not go with you down that path. Uh, we've seen the fruits of going down that path. And, uh, we do not want a place with you sitting next to the, uh, bishops of communist, the communist Chinese. Uh, party, um, that, and we don't want to go down that path with Amazonian spirituality and Amazonian theology, uh, you know, enculturated uh, in, in, in into the religion here. That's not possible. Um, and, uh, you know, some people said, if this was done, when the Novus Ordo began making his changes, if the lay people who had the faith uh, really took a, an, a, a very, very serious approach in saying, no, we will not follow you into this. Then the Novus Ordo could not have happened, as it did. But the modernists were counting on this happening. Uh, they were shocked that even one bishop stood up against them. They were really taken aback. They thought they had all the bishops in tow. And those that they didn't have in their back pocket already, they thought they could cow into silence. And uh, the more bishops followed them, and the fewer, the fewer there were who stood up, such as the Cetus Internationalis Patrum at the Vatican II, there was a handful of bishops, about 70 bishops, who bound, banded together, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre being one of them. But after the council, they all just sort of evaporated at leading one. But the fact that there was only one standing up made it all the harder for that one to be the sole bishop. And no doubt others were giving their lip service, but he was the one really who stood and took the brunt of this. And I mean, you can imagine being the only one bishop who would stand up, right? That must have taken a lot of grace. So... Um, it just goes to show how the modernists really thought they had the church completely bound up uh, so that, that there could be no resistance to them. Mm -hmm. But that one bishop gave such resistance to them that after 20 years of trying to crush the traditional mass, they had to concede their 1962 Latin mass. They had to concede that. But it was only because Monsignor Lefebvre um, actually held that ground and would not yield and actually consecrated bishops for that. Mm -hmm. Then they knew that, that their expectations would not be realized, that they could successfully extinguish the flame entirely, because that's what they wanted to do. As long as that ember kept burning, um, then the, the flame could be rekindled. But now we see, you know, the, the, the idea of going back through that process now to, to unite with modernist Rome. Uh, at a time like this, uh, what would, what would Monsignor Lefebvre, if he, if he, if he had to say what he did during the time of 
Paul VI and uh, John Paul II and so on, what would he be saying now in the time of Francis in terms of, th of his own uh, gentle but persistent way, which was like a, a gentle roll of thunder, you know, saying this is wrong, this is contrary to the Catholic faith. And um, that's the voice that we need to hear now. We're certainly not hearing it from the Society of St. Pius X, though. No, but Father, this, this next email here is uh, almost a, a rebuttal to what you just said, because this viewer says, um, in regards to your comments on the SSPX, what if their job is to function more like a lifeboat than a warship? It seems that your expectations are for the SSPX to be combative and challenge each questionable action that comes from Rome, while the SSPX seems to be more focused on serving the needs of the faithful during this ongoing crisis. They're surviving the storm rather than trying to do battle with it. Well, again, uh, I would answer that a very honest question, yeah. okay? Yeah. And I think a very good question. It deserves a good answer, but I think the answer has already been given by Monsignor Lefebvre. They say, Monsignor Lefebvre uh, adopted the approach he did, right? Um, for the good of the faithful. He knew this was what was necessary for the faithful. Teaching the faith and condemning error. I mean, the church has to do both. To teach the faith and to condemn error. You look at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. He taught the true faith and he condemned error, right? And so you see, this is the power that our, that our Lord has given to the church. And uh, Monsignor Lefebvre's approach was entirely to teach the faith and to condemn errors against the faith, to safeguard the faithful from error. And uh, again, we see that voice apparently being silenced or muffled now um, within the Society of St. Pius X. Um, the, the faithful need both, though. So um, if you read the encyclical of St. Pius X, there you have a prime example of the church condemning error. That's the, point, the title of the encyclical in English, Condemning the Errors of the Modernist, right? He said, we've tried for years and years and years now to appeal to the modernists, and they will not be, uh, they will not be converted. They maintain their plans of subverting the Catholic faith, subverting the Catholic Church. St. Pius X eventually, it says in the encyclical, in his encyclical, Pascendi de Medici Gregis of September 8th, 1907, that modernism is the synthesis of all the heresies against the faith. So his encyclical there is definitely a very strong condemnation of error. If you take that if that voice away and you still that voice, uh, you have you have still the voice of the Catholic Church and the voice of Christ and the Holy Ghost within the Catholic Church. Uh, you look at the syllabus of errors. Uh, look at Lamentabilisani. Uh, you look at the uh, condemnation of the errors of the modern age and so on. I mean, this is the voice of the Catholic Church. Um, the Church needs to use that voice to be faithful to Christ. Uh, so it's not enough just to say, well, look, we'll be, we'll practice traditional Catholicism as our religion within the Novus Ordo. Because again, to do that would be simply to say, well, look, the ecumenical idea is true. 
you can practice different religions within the one church of the Novus Ordo. And that's okay. You can have multiple different religions, even mutually opposed religions, like modernism and Catholicism, within the same church. And that's a lie. That's to deny Jesus Christ and his church. Uh, so um, if that is, I would say, if what this dear person writes uh, is true, that this is their approach, then I would say they're on. The, they're definitely on the wrong track, okay. and souls will be will be compromised and lost because of it. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, in closing, uh, I I'd like to to mention the, uh, the the saints of the the week that that we have coming up. I, I think that that's just such a um, such a beautiful thing to think about in these confusing times that we have to look back at the examples uh, of the saints. So. Father, this week, uh, just in this, this week alone, we have uh, St. Bernard, a doctor of the church. We have St. Saint Francis, a great saint. We have, um, the, tomorrow is the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We have uh, St. Louis, uh, the King of France, his feast day coming up. So, Father, what would all of these great saints, what would they do if they were alive in such confusing times like we're living in today? What would they do? How would they get through it? Well, you mentioned St. Louis of France, the King of France. I mean, he led crusades. Okay. Right? right. He led crusades. Right. And uh, he was taken captive, right? He was ransomed, right? And um, so he was a man who would fight for the faith, right? Um, no doubt about it. And you look at the other saints you mentioned, I mean, they they were all living as true Catholics, and they all, well, St. Bernard. St. Bernard was the uh, the one who got the first crusade called, right? He was the one who preached the first crusade. We also have the Feast of St. Pius X coming up on September 3rd. Right? We'll have the ordination of two uh, fine young men who are now deacons. We'll have them ordained in Roundtop, New York. You know, and uh, God willing, I'll be there too. And um, St. Pius X is a, a prime example in our, in our own time of what a pope should, should really be facing uh, these times of error and corruption, corruption of intellect and the corruption of will, right? The corruption of faith, the corruption of morals. St. Pius X uh, was truly a pastoral pope in the purest sense of the term, who had great love for souls, uh, but his great love for souls came from his great love for our Lord. St. Pius X suffered a great deal uh, for, for that love, and was willing to put himself on the line when he was uh, being elected to the papacy, when he had to decide whether or not he would accept the papacy. It was, it was an ordeal for him. Cardinal Mary Naval, the Secretary of State, came down to him and found him in tears, literally, uh, in the Clementine Chapel in the Vatican, in prayer, to know what to do. And uh, he wrote in his first encyclical, days later, uh, actually about a month later, I should say, that he, he was terrified to become the Pope because he believed that the Antichrist, as foretold by St. Paul, he, he even mentioned Second Thessalonians chapter 2, might already be in the world or soon to come. And the, kind of the idea of being a Pope at the time when this terrible adversary of Christ would be in the world. This rapacious monster would be here prowling for the sake of 
the destruction of all that is holy on the face of the earth. He, he certainly felt inadequate. But the decision that he made to accept the papacy was due purely to his trust in God's grace. Because, as I say, the more humble he was, the more inadequate he considered himself for this task. And perhaps he was completely mystified. As Monsieur Lefebvre later say, inconcevable, that it was inconceivable that God would choose him of all people. I mean... <laughs> the humble son of a postmaster, right? And, um, but he trusted in God's grace to enable him to do this, this tremendous task. And he's the one who sounded the alarm against the modernists. But he's also the one who uh, warned that they would return in 50 years, half a century, and lay waste the church of God. So we have that prophecy also to warn us what they're, about what they're doing to the church right now. And not to assist them, right? right? Not to be their water carriers as they're carrying, they're laying waste the church here. So he told us how, how we have to approach this and how we have to see this as the greatest enemy the church has ever faced. That's what he said. And so we have to do what um, Monsieur Lefebvre did. If they do what Pope Pius X himself uh, insisted on doing through times uh, favorable and unfavorable, preach the faith, live the faith, be, be faithful to our Lord, to the traditional Catholic religion. Practice that, uh, not as a matter of protest against anything, but because it's what we love. It's who we are. We're Catholics, right? And uh, that means being traditional. There's no such thing as a non-traditional Catholic. Um, tradition is one of the fonts of revelation. They can't just decide, well, let's do away with that. Uh, although the moderns declared war on tradition. But we have to realize, though, Tom, that this is a war. The war has been declared upon the Catholic faith by the modernists. And taking merely a passive approach, saying, well, we're just going to be good Catholics and try to win people over that way, um, that's not what the church has ever done. It's not what the church can ever do. Because the, uh, the charism that our Lord has given the church, right, uh, the power that he has confided in her, requires that she uphold the truth and necessarily also condemn error. And for the same reason, to safeguard the faithful and to confirm them in the faith. That's the role of Peter, to confirm the brethren in the faith. That is not what Francis is doing. That's the opposite of what Francis is doing. It is what St. Pius X did. And it is what Monsieur Lefebvre was doing, too, in holding fast to Catholic tradition. And uh, we just pray that all really traditional Catholics will follow their lead and do exactly that. Yes, exactly. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate all your time. I'm certainly welcome, Tom. Mm -hmm. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and also to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.